Welcome to Idaho Speakeasy. We're on a mission to uncover and share the stories of Idaho's finest entrepreneurs, community leaders, local icons, and those who are impacting our community. I'm Mike Turner, and today in the Speakeasy, we have Executive Director of Catch, Wyatt Schroeder. Wyatt's here to update us on what he's been up to since we last spoke to him. Welcome back to the Speakeasy, Wyatt. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So I've been hearing all these rumors around town about our path home, and um, so I, I want to talk about that. But before we jump in, it's for people who are not familiar what Catch is. Can you explain what that is? Every family, every person, a home. Catch believes to its absolute core that not only does every single family need a home, but they we think that they deserve a safe and stable home. So we use a philosophy called Housing First, which basically says... If there's someone staying tonight in shelter or on the street, we want to, as rapidly as possible, get them into permanent, safe, and stable housing with a lease in their name. So those kids, when they're going to school and getting picked up on the bus in the morning, that's an address that they know and feel safe and secure. And when the bus drops them off, they're excited to walk back home into a place that is theirs, a bed that is theirs, that they were there last night. And we also just know that that means educational achievement that they got between those bus rides was a lot more effective because they had that safety and stability. Right. Okay. How do you do it? I mean, how do you, how do you make that work? How's it happen? Yeah, right. How's the sausage made? Right. <laughs> so really what it looks like is kind of a three-stage process. Okay. The first thing when a family comes into our care is we want to build a housing plan. So because we know, if you just think about it from a child's um, eyes, uh, all the folks that are listening that have children know how fast they grow up. They grow up so quickly that you feel like any misstep in the beginning of those, of those first five years might have leave an imprint. Well, 90% of your brain, your brain, Mike, was developed in the first five years of your life. So if there's a child right now growing up in deep trauma, unfortunately, that means their life expectancy goes down by 11 years. They've got a 466% chance of uh, depression in their life because of those experiences during this time. Mm. We know they've got a 30% more chance of, of lupus and autoimmune disease. We have to move quickly. So the first thing that we do when they, those kids and those adults come into our care, work with our landlord partners to get them into safe and stable housing. We'll pay the application fees. We'll pay off some of your back debt. We'll pay that security deposit to make sure you can get into housing. Okay. That's phase one. Then once they're moved all in with some community donations like furniture and household goods, then we really get to work on our case plan. Our licensed social workers are going to sit down with you as the family, and we're going to say, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? Do you want to talk about job development? Do you want to talk about financial literacy? Do you want to talk about health care and educational achievement for the kids? Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about savings plan? We're going to work on all of that. But the biggest thing that we do is work on resilience, the life mm -hmm. skills it takes to live through crises. Unfortunately for you, Mike, for, for Phil, for me, for Jared, there's another crisis coming in our, in our lives. Yeah. But hopefully we've built up the personal, emotional, and psycho uh, support to make sure we can live through it. So that's phase two. And phase three is graduation. What resources do you need so that you are safe and stable long-term? And over 80% of the families that Catch serves are stably housed a year after our program. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, and so this case plan, like, what, are, what do you find people are most struggling with? Or like, yeah. is, is there some trends there? Are there some trends? Yeah, yeah there are, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the families are coming to us with a lot of open questions. You can't lie to about that. Yeah. Um, I think... Some easy ones for us to wrap our mind around as a community is the finances. Okay. I feel like I get that question more than anything else. Mm. Why? Talk to me about jobs. Are jobs part of the solution? Absolutely. Family, the average family, if you want to call it that, that comes to us is a mother and three kids. Mm. Uh, very technically, it's 3.6 is our average family, but let's just round up. 
Right. Okay. Now they are on average earning about $700 a month when they come into our program for a family of four. So obviously just with where, where rents are right now, it's not possible. It's not possible. Right. So the finance is a big part of it is everything from like, we have our, what we call our catch match savings program. So they can save $25 a month and that gets matched by some of our bank partners up to $500. So they can leave our program with usually not even being banked in the first place. They walk out with a savings account and having a thousand dollars in it. In addition to us looking at job development, whether it's working with our partners at department of labor, um, working with our partners at vocational rehabilitation, our partners at create common good, um, to get them the job training skills they need to make sure they can build and earn income. That's, that's for lack of a better term, I think like the easiest way to us wrap around our minds around the trends, the harder stuff where we spend most of our time is trauma work. Hmm. That's the stuff that frankly is hard to fit mm-hmm. into an annual report. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ever fit into a four minute pitch, but the reality is these families are coming in with such deep trauma, loss of self-esteem. Um, almost half our folks are coming fleeing domestic violence. They're being referred over from the Women's and Children's Alliance or Hope Store. And so the level of trauma these kids and these adults are experiencing, that's the biggest part of that safety and security that home can give. The kind of um, unseen part of it is, is that kind of work of allowing them to breathe and seeing the kids play again, where maybe they didn't feel comfortable playing and being kids and being a little rowdy mm-hmm. and taking some chances when they were in shelter or when they were on the street just because their fight and flight response in their brain is constantly clicking. They're constantly living that trauma. Mm-hmm. That's really what impairs brain development more than anything else is that trauma. So that's the, the hard to wrap your mind around spot. Um, Cause sure. I think for a lot of our listeners and myself included, I grew up in a healthy home. Yeah. Well, talk to me about this, this, this new initiative that's been going on called our path home um, and how that's playing a part in all this. Yeah. So, Mike, we're really proud of Catch. We're really proud of what we've built. But we might be naive to think that we can end homelessness alone. Right. We would just be selling you something if we were <laughs> if I was sitting here trying to tell it to you. And we, we don't want to be that. So we knew that, and a lot of our other partners knew that as well. And so, frankly, three years ago, um, the dial of time moves slow. So three years ago, we started talking as a community here in Ada County of recognizing Hey, our families are going through this system and they're having to navigate a lot. And the reality is this, and I think it's a hard reality for us to admit. We're really good at charity, but charity isn't a problem solving thing, right? Charity is, is giving a coat to a cold kid. Does that kid need a coat? Absolutely. It's giving a, a meal to a hungry mother. Does that mother need a, need a meal? Absolutely. But charity doesn't think in terms of, of investments, in terms of systems. So one big push that I think we talk about a lot as Catch that frankly sometimes makes some folks uncomfortable is we need to move past thinking about charity as a community and thinking really about community. Mm-hmm. What that means for us is there, uh, over a year ago, if a family tried to end their homelessness, how would they do it? Let's say they were um, picked up by the paramedics because someone got sick. The paramedics would, would send you where? They send you to the ER. The ER would do what they can to stabilize you, and then a discharge nurse would work with you. And do you have a place for us to send you back? No, I live in the shelter. Okay, let's send you to the shelter. So I send you to the shelter. Then, like my first jobs were in, was in a shelter. Your, your best case scenario is from there as a case manager is to get that family on every waiting list in the community. Mm-hmm. Salvation Army, Catch, Aleda, Housing Authority. Let's just get you on every waiting list, and then let's sit here and wait. Let's sit here and wait. 
I'll sit here and wait. And tomorrow mm-hmm. morning, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to ask you to, to leave the shelter because we don't keep it open during the day. And you're gonna go to school, and the school counselor is also gonna work with you to get on those 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 uh, same waiting lists. And then maybe your mother's working in the Department of Labor. They're also going to get you on the waiting list. It wasn't coordinated. Sure. We as a community were making it harder for families. We were adding trauma because we're only thinking in charity. And so what Our Path Home and this collaboration that came together said, why would they have to tell their story 13 times? Isn't one enough? Hmm. So Our Path Home says, why not have one access point in Ada County for anyone who's literally experiencing homelessness? One access point where they do one assessment and get on one prioritized waiting list for the entire community. And let's treat it like an ER. Let's not just have first come, first serve. Let's admit that maybe Phil's needs are more critical than yours, Mike. So mm-hmm. let's look at that differently, even if you came in two days before him. Okay. So that's what our path home is really set up to be, is let's get all of our nonprofits around housing and, and support officers to truly collaborate to truly collaborate. Let's stop waiting for a funding partner or for someone else to make us collaborate and let's do it ourselves. So we now have 32 agencies, everything from the Boise Police Department, Interface Sanctuary, Boise Rescue Mission, Jesse Tree of Idaho, Department of Labor, to working together to create one access point to end homelessness in Ada County. We have one hotline, 495-4240. We have one walk-in center at 503 South Americana. And we now have one data set to show what homelessness truly looks like in our community. It's a long way of answering your question, but it's a big problem we're trying to tackle. Right. And so, and you start, you said you started this three years ago. Yep. And we launched the actual partnership a year ago. Okay. And what, what now a year into it, what have you learned and what, what have you seen, you know, from this initiative? Um, we should have done, you ever see those like presidential before and after shots? where they take a picture of the president on day one, and then when they leave office, oh, how yeah. much hair they've lost right. and how gray they've gotten. Yes, yeah. We probably should have done that with me and my staff. <laughs> you can't tell, uh, dear listener, but I'm balding. Um, <laughs> it's, we've learned a lot. We have learned more about homelessness, I honestly believe, in the last year in Ada County than probably the last 10 years combined. Wow. Uh, we've learned a lot about some systems of care that maybe aren't working as well. But a big thing that we've got now is, and we presented this to our community just a little bit ago, is we've got some numbers on what homelessness truly looks like here. Okay. So before, I w- if you had asked anyone on your show, and you probably have, how many people are experiencing homelessness? Very simple question to ask, right? right. We didn't have an answer for you before. What we would have told you is that every January 20th, we hit the streets, and we count the number of people we find as a community, and we count the number of people in shelter. Hmm. Um, in 2018, that number show that there were roughly about 750 people experiencing homelessness in Ada County, wow. roughly around 750. Was that, a, was that true or not? We don't really know. But we do know that in the last year, since launching Our Path Home and having one coordinate access point, we have assessed 674 households, which represents, represents 1,600 people in Ada County experiencing homelessness in the last year. Wow. 1,600. So we know that the number we've typically been counting is at least half the size of the actual population. And we now actually have more information about those folks and self-reporting, um, you know, how many kids they've got in their care. How uh, Are you living with mental illness right now? You know, where are you coming from? We're getting more data. But really what I want to say right now is just tonight we've got 172 families on our waiting list. We've got 274 single adults on our waiting list mm. for all of Ada County. Wow. That's still... Uh... I guess, you know, it, um, it's great that he had these numbers. It's also like, uh, 
it, it makes it, uh, well, I think it's great that you actually know how, what, <laughs> yeah. like how big the problem is. But it's right? also daunting, right? Right, it's daunting. Yeah. 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 I think it's both. I think it's yeah. any, any, any analytical person listening yeah. understands why this is revolutionary at some level of mm -hmm. that we finally have a coordinated data set. We can examine the problem from different ways now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I can also hear a kind-hearted community member listening who listens and go, hold on. I've been driving around Americana. I've been seeing my city grow. I already thought homelessness was, was getting too bad. Now you're telling me it was worse than I thought. Right. And the answer is, well, it was, it was always like this. We just didn't have a good way of capturing the data. But we finally built the partnership that can respond to data like this, that can be nimble and agile enough. Uh -huh. Any place that you're working, right, I hope isn't the same office today as it will be in five years, right? And hopefully you're not a, you know, a stale agency, we mm -hmm. hope, right? Right. Um, we've been a pretty stale charitable service sector for a while. And I think it's going to take collaborations like this to, to get us to be agile and to read research and to realize that, Hey, why do you do it that way? Or someone to come to catch and go, you guys asked this one question. I gotta say it's, it's that question is not getting the response you want. Mm -hmm. That level of detail, I think is going to really inspire some amazing works, but it's mm -hmm. going to be hard. It's absolutely gonna be hard. Right, because you know, because that's the next question. It's like, what now? Like, where, how, what's the next step forward? I mean, you have better information, you have better uh, coordination, mm -hmm. um, and is it, is it, has it been improving since you've been doing that? And then, like, is it, can you solve it? I mean, is that is that is like that's kind of like yeah. where you go? Yeah. It's like, can you solve yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I love that question. Um, I. I love in the beginning of my presentations when I'm out in the community chatting to ask before anything else, how many people, please be honest, think we can end homelessness? I've never been in a room where 100% people raise their hand. My favorite, yeah, I, um, is, so. I, I present to the Leadership Boise Academy. Um, high school, the best high schoolers in our area come to, to Leadership Boise, sure. right? I present to them once and I ask that question just to start. One person, one person raises their hand. <laughs> and, and I'm like, Thank you. Thanks. Man. I really appreciate it. I was like, why did you raise your hand to say that we can end homelessness? And he just looks at me and just goes, because I figured uh, they wouldn't invite you to speak if the answer was no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. I think that's true. But the reality is that, like, let's just look at veterans. Let's look at one subpopulation. Right. Uh, I think a population that speaks to a lot of us, you know, our, our men and women coming, coming, uh, mm -hmm. put themselves in arms, arms way and, and coming back to us. There's been a, a really keen focus on veterans' homelessness around the country in the process of doing it by using partnerships like Our Path Home and a philosophy called Housing First. They have ended veterans' homelessness in 60 different jurisdictions over the last couple of years. And by jurisdictions, I mean my hometown of Philadelphia. I really? mean Salt Lake City. Wow. I mean Houston. I mean the entire state of Virginia, the entire state of Connecticut, the entire state of Delaware. Wow. Huge places. With, with, frankly, a lot larger service population than Boise. Right, yeah. You know, they would, they would gladly trade for the numbers that I just listed mm -hmm. in terms of the number of people they had helped. Of help. course, right. So it's entirely achievable. It's, I know it feels daunting, but we can't let homelessness calcify into hopelessness. Right. Because we can make a huge difference. We already are for a number of families, but we have to scale our impact. Right. And so I, it seems like um, just the general, I don't know, uh, people's opinions about hopelessness, you know, uh, homelessness is, is differs, right? And yep. so I know that there's a lot of mental illness in the home, homeless population. Mm -hmm. How does that factor in when you're trying to line them up with not just a place to stay? That seems like you could figure that out. But then, like you said, phase two is like the case plan of like, what now, right? And then, like, 
where, where do you go from here? And can yeah. you graduate? I mean, when you have somebody in that situation, because it seems like they would just fall back into homelessness. You know, so how do you solve that challenge? Yeah, it takes a team. Yeah. It has to. Right. Um, and we got to get creative. So maybe for some folks who are driving in and out of Boise have seen it develop. So if, do you remember the old Twin Dragon Chinese restaurant? Yeah. Right next to the Red Lion? Yeah. Well, that's gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we tore that down for the sake of something really amazing happening. Mm-hmm. We're building a building that's about 50% down called New Path. Right. I saw and, that. Yeah, yeah, New Path Community okay. Housing. And so those are 40 units. And it's the first time in Idaho's history we're building a building dedicated to ending homelessness. It's yeah. amazing. It's huge. Yeah, right. Huge partners coming alongside. Ada County. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, both our hospitals, St. Al's and St. Luke's, are coming in. Um, Catch is partnering with Terry Riley Health. And that's really showing that we're, we're going to be specifically targeting the population you're talking about. We're going to be specifically targeting the folks that are using the ER a lot, that are using the paramedics a lot, have maybe been in and out of incarceration, because it's not enough just to get these there's folks much, at home. There's so much trauma going on. There's so much trauma. Yeah, yeah so much trauma going on. And we're going to have on site a team of clinicians. Terry Riley is going to do what they do best. And we're going to bring along some uh, housing specialists from Catch. And so we're going to be on-site working with these folks because you're exactly right. Phase two is so critical of keeping you stably housed. Mm-hmm. And that's a, not a linear approach. Mm-hmm. I think we get that from some community members where they just assume that it should kind of be like college where you have year one, year two, year three, year four, you're done. It's not always that, that linear. Um, but really just having a flexible team-based approach, our question of stability and trauma reduction and you just hyper-focus on that. You can do some big things, even with severe and persistent mental illness. Hmm. And then um, just getting to that, because you said no one raises their hand when you ask that question, can you end homelessness? Yes. I, I sure part of the, um, the opinion is is that some people are choosing to be homeless, right? And so what is, you know, how, does, how do you respond to that, you know, that opinion or that question? Yeah. yeah. And we, and you're right to bring it up. Yeah. We get that plenty. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer that these hard conversations need to happen and we need to be willing to expose, frankly, some of our bias. There's a lot of it. Um, Are people choosing to become homeless? Um, I think there's a a couple ways to think about it. One, there's things like domestic violence. And one of the stories that that we love to tell at Catch is a story of Marie and Damien, who, whenever Damien first saw the abuse that his mother was going through, that's when she decided... It was safer for her to leave her home. Did she make a choice to leave? Yes, no. It's no choice that anyone should have to make. Right. Um, And also, that's one way to to look at it. There's a whole subpopulation of domestic violence. But also, so many things are happening with this population, whether it's racism, whether it's our inability to think about mental illness, these institutional factors that are happening that... I think it's easy for us and our privilege to sit and, and define it by choice. But the reality is there's not a choice for a lot of these, these folks, um, especially coming out of the recession and the lack of wage growth that we have here. Right now, to get an apartment, if we never worked with you and you were earning a minimum wage in Ada County to afford a one-bedroom apartment, it would take you, you'd have to work 74 hours a week and minimum wage to even afford it. So right. some folks are just falling out of housing. And then to, uh, they just need to find their way back. And so there's, I think there's a lot of um, like personal factors that happen with like, domestic violence. There's institutional factors that happen with like wage, um, you know, some of our bias coming out. 
And the last one is, uh, I'll get this question a lot, where someone will say, why, I, I was driving on Front Street, and there was someone with a sign who was right outside of P.F. Chang's, let's say. And I stopped and asked them, did they want A, B, and C? And they said, no. And they'll use that as a sound. So this is why it doesn't work. Why? Like, this is why it doesn't work. And our, my reaction is usually like, well, if someone offered me something, if they offered me, hey, get in the car, I want to go and, and get a job, or hey, you can stay with me tonight, I would probably say no too because I don't have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So where a community member I think hears no, we hear not yet. We need to do a better job as catch, and we need to do a better job as community in building relationships with people that are currently living on the street. We have to accept the fact that living in shelter is traumatic. Mm-hmm. We have to accept the fact that working with a lot of our our places that want to help is still also traumatic. It's a big step of courage to even walk through the door and ask for help. I remember I, I talked to a homeless man and I was asking him why he wasn't in the shelter and it's really awful weather and it was fairly late and I figured the shelter was yeah. open. Yeah. And uh, and he said, because I don't want to lose my stuff. Yeah. And that was all he was clinging to. You know, that was that was really important. I was looking at him. I couldn't really tell what was in his gatherings yeah. and stuff. But it was important enough to him that he was fearful of losing it and whether that was the reality or not going through that those mm-hmm. doors or not yep that was the reality that he saw and maybe he had a bad experience before yeah. something. and so you know um and um uh, but it but i if i had not asked him that question i would not known yes. and it's just like and that's great I yeah, mean, you did right. it you had a conversation like a, right. a real human moment where you're willing to have your assumptions challenged right and I, th- I think that's great. I think that's a great case study to, we should all do that. I know I had a conversation not that long ago with someone who their reaction to that same question was, I've got anger problems and I don't know how to deal with it. And I never want to be responsible for hurting someone. And if I had to sleep with 165 other people tonight, I don't want to hurt someone. And so they chose to sleep outside because they were fearful of the other people that were sleeping in, in the shelter. Right. And made a choice for, for someone else's safety reasons. That was actually selfless that they mm-hmm. slept outside. But if we're just driving by and looking at them, it might be easy for us to cast a, a stereotype at that same person. Right. And speaking of stereotypes, um, um, there is a big stereotype that a big part of, and maybe it's, and I don't know that the, the stats or the numbers, yeah. but um, I know that uh, there's some part of the population of homelessness is due to addiction uh, ch- challenges. Um, so how does, how does organizations like yours and your partnerships, how are they tackling that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, um, cause that, it seems like that's, you know, and you know, it adds layers of complexity, yep. you know, to this, this challenge. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a doctor here who told me once in a line that I really appreciated. I said, there's no such thing as medical management on the street. Our healthcare system doesn't work for people on the street. Simple as that. It's mm-hmm. broken, frankly, for a lot of folks, maybe sure. folks living in the gap yeah. right now, yeah. but especially for those living on the street who have the most critical needs, it's already broken. So yes, people might self-medicate. Yeah. They might self-medicate to dull some of the pains that they're experiencing with some really severe diseases or trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. But we have to recognize the community that, hey, that's part of what this means. So what's the best chance for recovery? Mm-hmm. Is the best chance for recovery to say you don't deserve housing until you're clean and sober, even though we're going to admit that medical management doesn't work on the street? Or is our best chance to say, we need to reach out to these exact same folks, get them into safe and stable housing, show them what success looks like. And then through there, then we can paint a path of recovery. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm sure it's true for you. I'm sure it's true for a lot of listeners. I know a few alcoholics that are housed tonight, mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. Some folks that are maybe some drug users that are housed tonight. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as that, right? Of that, addiction, right. therefore. Right. So we have to like reach out our arms, be compassionate, challenge maybe some of our own feelings of about addiction, and recognize that safe and stable housing is the first step to recovery, and it has to start there because going in through recovery um, exclusively, maybe through a detox center, exclusively on the street, is really, really hard. Yeah. And the, and the stats show that Housing First is really effective for that same population. Getting them stably housed, even though it's difficult, of course, but once they're housed, giving them the critical care and needs um, so they can overcome their addictions. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I imagine that with so much trauma that it's, you know, getting them a, a house, a, a bed to stay in is, is a, a huge improvement, but, but you're still a long way to go before they're ready for stable employment i mean because that takes you know you have to have a lot of things lined up having an address obviously right right Right. um and and so i think a lot of times uh the the quick uh judgment um that um we give home homeless get a job get a job get a job just get a job yeah plenty plenty of jobs right go get one yeah um and uh and i've learned um a lot and actually in this last year about um, a lot of those challenges and how difficult that can be for some mm-hmm. folks and all the layers and of uh, that kind of inhibit, you know, making that really possible, um, at least consistently. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you're hitting all this of, you know, it's why I frankly love working. I've worked in, in homelessness now for a decade. It's complicated. Yeah. Right. A, a person's life is complicated, right? Um, it's not just one job training course. It's not just opening up a bank account. It's not uh, just this one you know, take two and then call me in the morning. It's really complicated. It's people's mm-hmm. lives and it's people in deep trauma. So you're exactly right. It's never as simple as whatever insert here. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why it has to be collaborations like our path home. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope that we as a community start retiring our thinking of just my charity, my client, mm-hmm. like this is my client and not your client. We just need to move past that. And my dream of dreams is that every single foundation Every single donor in the community, um, one of the first questions they would ask about a, a nonprofit is, tell me about how you collaborate. Not if you do, because everyone will say yes. How do you collaborate? Mm. You know, I think that needs to be one of our first three questions we ask every nonprofit, just because it's too complicated for any of us to do it alone. We are not going to do child care, but we know Giraffe Laugh. Yeah. We're not going to do job development, but we know Create Common Good. Right. We don't allow us to specialize in the thing we specialize, housing. So Terry Riley can can be the mental health specialist in the room mm-hmm. so that um, Pacific Source can focus on health plans, so that Pacific companies can focus on development. Um, I really hope that we as, as donors and everyone that you work with, even in impact clubs, gets mm-hmm. better at that question of mm-hmm. do you collaborate? And if you don't, I'm sorry, then maybe you're not, maybe you're not the nonprofit for me. Well, I, I, it is... It is, uh, the results are clear, right? When you do collaborate, how much more effective you can be. And it's just like any other, I don't know, government agency, yeah. right? They're all fighting against each other, right? Yes. Or even like the law enforcement, you know, when, they, yeah. when they're not communicating, when even though your, your, your cities are, you know, one block it's this t- township and the other block is that township, obviously if they're communicating, better they communicate, the more effective they can be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's, so that's obvious. That's really, I think, really obvious that that is a path to being way more effective in mm-hmm. your mission. Um, and 
And so it's cool to see how you've done it here locally and, and, and how it seems like that how uh, many organizations are getting on board with this mm -hmm. idea. Was it, did you find that difficult to <laughs> initially to get that, that train turned in a different direction? I don't think I'm allowed to curse, so I'll just say yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. It's yeah. it's not it, even somebody. It's not from a lack of wanting to collaborate. Mm -hmm. um, like we're able to say pretty proudly how much we support Housing First, and even though Housing First, this model on homelessness, has been a national policy for now 15 years, there's still some local providers that aren't sure. We're not naive about that. Mm -hmm. So getting the philosophy is important. It's difficult. Um, I mean, anyone who's tried to do a group project at college knows how hard it can be sometimes just to get your, your timelines and your logistics lined up. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly difficult. And I, but because it's difficult, I think one, that's why it doesn't happen very often. And two, why it's so meaningful to do it. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I imagine it's been a, a challenge. I, you see that anywhere you try to get large, big existing organizations all of a sudden changing how they do things and it's yeah i oh absolutely I, yeah. and mm -hmm. i mean our political discourse can show you the <laughs> flip side of it right how there's not a single person i don't care what your political stripes are but i'm sure um you've wanted more collaboration but also accepted the fact of how hard that can be right yeah um so the state legislator here in 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 idaho or just a school board yeah i, I think it just shows that Wanting to make a difference, unfortunately, and it's, it's like hard to hear, but uh, like wanting to make a difference is not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. We got to go about it the right way, and I think that's where the rubber meets the road, where the real work happens, where the magic is, um, and where our clients need us to be. Hmm. Wow, that's all great stuff. Um, so, to for people that want who are listening to this, yeah, and want to like learn more about it or um, you know maybe get more involved in what's going on here um, where should we direct them to sure yeah well come find us at catchprogram.org catchprogram.org uh, go and find us um, on Facebook yeah you can find us on Instagram at catch Idaho and uh, next uh, week we're at a live after five oh. um, so come by and say say hi to us at our booth cool um, yeah, we'd love to get to know you. So just reach out even if you just want to chat or if there's other places where we can get in the room and talk about homelessness, we want to talk about it. It's a conversation that I think needs to continue to happen. Yes, please. So thank you for having me on this. This is great. <laughs> Not just once, but twice. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, you know, you know, keep doing awesome stuff. We'll keep bringing you on. Now. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been fun. And it's been about a year since we've had you on. So it's been fun to get you on again yeah. and see all the progress you guys have been making. And looking forward to continuing to see this this you take on this challenge yeah. of ending homelessness. Well, and you too. I mean, I appreciate the conversations you guys have and, and upholding our superhero nonprofits uh, <laughs> in the Valley because you guys are, I think it's great, giving us the new channels, getting us in front of new people, which we definitely need and, and hopefully allow us to ask the hard questions. Good. Well, all right, Wyatt, it's been great having you here again. We're spe speaking with uh, the executive director of Catch, Wyatt Schroeder. You can find out more information by going to catchprogram.org. And uh, we'll, of course, be putting more details on our website, idahospeakeasy.com. Until next time, I'm Mike Turner. Have a great day. We'll see you back next week. <laughs>